0: Good morning. We do have a great group gathered here and thankful for those who join us online. I was just thinking this time last week we were dealing with snow and ice and today we barely need a jacket. Uh, It's like February in Tennessee, right? Uh, It's got to be prepared and and go with the flow, Uh, but we're grateful that you're with us either way today. Um, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and have those ready. and follow along, and if you've got an outline in the back of the bulletin, you can pull that out and follow as well. I heard the story, made the round several years ago, about an ad in the paper about a lost dog. It went like this. One little dog, blind in one eye, missing a leg, covered in mange, answers to the name Lucky. <clears throat> I like the story of Mary... Farwell of Greencastle, Missouri told about her five-year-old son Matthew. For Christmas, he got a speak and spell computer toy where he could type in words and it would say the words for him. So his little five-year-old brain went to work and he was typing in every little uh, word that he knew, uh, dog, cat, mom, and dad. And then he typed in G-O-D speaking spell kind of whirled a little bit and it said word not found. Little Matthew typed it again, D-G-O-D, said word not found. Little Matthew got irritated and said, Jesus is not going to like this. (laughs) You know, if Jesus is Lord, what he likes should matter, right? Or maybe you heard about the burglar who broke into a house Homeowners were gone. He was making his way through the house, getting everything he could. He came into the living room, and he heard a strange voice saying, Jesus is watching you. Well, at that point, he knew no one was there, and so he just scanned the room with his flashlight, and it landed on a parrot. And he thought, well, surely that was the parrot. And sure enough, he again heard, Jesus is watching you. Well, he was astounded by that, and he said, did you say that? Knowing it was the parrot who said that, but he was surprised when the parrot answered yes. So the burglar kept talking and he said, well, who in the world would name their parrot? uh, He said, what is your name? He said, Moses. He said, who in the world would name your parrot Moses? He said, the same ones that would name their dog, their Doberman, Jesus. (laughs) I know that's an old one, but it's a good one. Some names just don't fit. But the names of Jesus fit. Not just to reveal him to us, not just what he can do to us, because they fit. Whether we understand them or fully comprehend them or not, there are two names of Jesus that truly fit just his person, his character, his essence. The Angela shared those, revealed those on the night of his birth, Luke two eleven. We shared this verse for the last several weeks. For unto you is born this day in the city of David... A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Last week, we talked about Christ. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to call him Lord. See, it is is very significant that the angel would use these words. He is Christ the Lord. Well, a little background to kind of help us with this. When the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek about 600 years before Jesus was born... Uh, That's the Septuagint. You may have heard that name before. Well, there's not a Greek word for the Old Testament word Lord. Remember we studied that? Capital L-O-R-D. That's Yahweh or Jehovah. In our English translations, it's capital L-O-R-D. In the Greek, there's not an equivalent. So so what do you do? What word would you choose? Well, they chose the word 6,000 times kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S, I put it on the screen, which is the word the angels used here. He is Christ the Kurios, Christ the Lord. And I think it's very meaningful because when you read through the Gospels, you discover that Jesus was not really called Lord very often. It does appear, but not that often. Only a handful of times in Matthew and Mark, for example. He's rarely called Lord in the full theological sense of the word. But that changed. Something happened between the days of his life and the book of Acts. By the time you get to Acts, Jesus is called Lord more than any other designation. That's worth noticing. I think we all know what that something was that happened. Look at Acts chapter 2. The first sermon really is just all about who is this Jesus. Acts 2.29 and following. Brothers, And Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. God has made him both Lord and Christ. And so really for the rest of the Bible, that's the question. Do you believe this? Who is the Lord? And that's a question that every person must answer. Now, we've already read what Peter thinks. God made this Jesus Lord. And that's what they went throughout the world telling. But what does that mean? When we say Jesus is Lord, what are we saying? What does that mean? Well, again, a little bit of background. Uh, There are two Greek words that are sometimes translated Lord in the Greek at this time. One is despotes, where we get despot. We think of that word usually in a negative sense, kind of a a harshness, one who usurped authority. Maybe dictator comes to mind. Somebody who takes control that's uh, not really his. That Greek word is never used of Jesus. The Greek word you see of Jesus is kurios. This is someone who has legitimate authority. It's also helpful to know, especially when you're trying to understand a word, the way it's used in the original language is all the ways that it's used in the original language. Not just referring to Jesus, it's also helpful to know this same word, kurios, appears in a non-divinity context. Sometimes it's translated in our English Bibles as master. Sometimes Lord, but often it's read as master. And it's a way when we're talking about someone who's not a deity, Usually, it's a title of respect. It might be to a husband. It might be to a father. It may be of an owner, like an owner of a business or owner of a land or the owner of a house. give you a couple of examples. Matthew 20, there's a parable of the workers in the field. Well, the owner of the field was called the master. That's our English word, but it's actually kurios in the Greek. Mark chapter 12, you've got the parable of the vineyard owners where the servants were killed. Well, the owner was called the kurios. There's also the example in the parable of the unwise steward. Again, the master there was called the kurios. He's the Lord. That's the Greek word used there. So Jesus is sometimes called Lord in the Gospels, but he's not necessarily being referenced in the full sense of deity, like this is the Son of God. It may just be in a sense of him just being the person in charge or the one in authority. But still it's that title of respect. But after... The resurrection; it took a whole new meaning. Before, it was used kind of interchangeably, and they would use that out of respect to him. But after the resurrection, look where I think this started to happen. John chapter twenty. You remember this story? Jesus appeared to the uh, disciples after his resurrection, but Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas said to them, "Hey, I'm not going to believe it until I see it with my own eyes. I touch it with my own hands." John chapter 20, look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God more than just a title of respect, more than just an owner of property. He was talking about God in the, in the Jesus in the true theological sense of Lord. What happened was that the resurrection of Jesus moved him, really in the eyes of all the disciples, from Lord to Lord of Lords. He is the true Lord in that sense. The resurrection changed everything. And they were convinced That Jesus was not just Lord, he was Lord of all. And so what happened then is then after the resurrection, as you continue reading in your Bibles, that the word Lord, just like some of the other names like Christ, became synonymous with Jesus. And they almost used those interchangeably. In fact, it became the normal customary way to refer to Jesus after the resurrection. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote so many of the letters that we read the rest of our New Testament. I think I counted, it was like 17 times he referred to him as Jesus alone, just the word Jesus. But he used the word Lord 145 times. I think that's worth noting. One author said this, After the resurrection, do you not read of the believers using Lord to refer to any other person? It just sort of redefined the term for them. So here's what we need to understand. If you've got an outline you want to follow along. Number one, Jesus was declared Lord at his birth. We mentioned this earlier. Again, look at Luke 2, 8. And let's keep reading beyond verse, uh, that verse. In the same region there were shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now think about this. If his lordship was declared to Mary and Joseph before he was born, and to the shepherds on the day he was born, and we also see the wise men who then come later, and they bow down to this newborn king, why is it that you and I struggle to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of our lives? Well, number two, Jesus was declared Lord by John the Baptist. So early on in the ministry, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Notice here, John does not say, prepare the way of the Savior. He doesn't say, prepare the way of the Messiah. Although those would have been correct, he's quoting from Isaiah. And the heart of the prophet's message was that God's redemptive plan was being fulfilled through his son, Jesus. 600 years before he came, Jesus Christ was identified as being the Lord God. And he would rule by power. So again, what does that mean? It means Jesus came to be Lord. He didn't just stumble upon it. It wasn't like, hey, let's come up with this. That was the design all along. He possessed all the power, the strength, and the authority as he walked this earth. Don't lose that. Sometimes when you're reading the gospel and you see him being so humble and so quiet and living so meagerly, but still he was Lord overall even during that time. And don't confuse his death as defeat. I keep mentioning that because I want to make sure we understand the cross was the greatest victory of all human history. So let's move to the other end of Jesus' time on earth. After the resurrection, Jesus commissioned his disciples to take the message to all the world. That's the third point. Jesus declared his lordship along with his commission. Matthew chapter 28 records it there, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. That's the commission. But look at verse 18. If we think the Great Commission is only about obedience, taking the good news to everybody, I think we miss something. Because look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now the word Lord is not in there, but his lordship is in there. Do you see it? Do you understand that? The fact that he stated all authority has been given to him. Understand that that is precisely why Jesus is Lord. That is what we mean when we say the word. And that is why he could give the great commission, because he had all authority. See, if we start with just go make disciples in verse 19 and miss out on the fact that Jesus declares his lordship in verse 18, we're missing the power behind the mission. It's because he had all the authority that he was able to give that great commission. let's keep moving forward in our Bibles. Acts chapter 2, number 4. Jesus was declared Lord at Pentecost. Again, we read this verse a moment ago, but look again at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So now on the day of Pentecost, Peter lays it out simply. Jesus is both Lord and Christ, both together. And from the very beginning of the church, his lordship was a very key, essential doctrine. I think it's more of a challenge for us to keep that in the front of our minds, how important that is. Don't let it be watered down. Don't let it lose its power, its significance. Early Christians were willingly sacrificed their lives for the sake of Christ. Believers even today are persecuted. Because they stand up for the one true Lord. The Lordship of Christ is not something to be held on to. It's good news to be shared. Which brings me to the next one. Number five. Jesus' Lordship is for all people. It's for all people. In Acts chapter 10, you might remember, Peter was challenged by the Lord to take the gospel beyond the Jews. The good news was for everyone. And Jesus came to bring that to everybody so the Lord sent him, Peter, and he kind of opened his eyes. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So Peter had gone to Cornelius' house, and God was in the process of helping Peter understand the good news was for more than just the Jews. And so he reveals this message to Peter, and notice the connection here of Jesus as both Savior and Lord in verse 36, preaching the good news of peace. Jesus brings that, that's salvation, and he is Lord of all. See, not only is Jesus Lord of both the Jews and the Gentiles, Paul went on to say he is Lord of the living and the dead. That was our reading a few moments ago, and we're going to get to that verse again in a moment. The point is there's no escaping the lordship of Christ. No matter who you are, no matter when you were born, no matter after you're dead, There is no escaping the lordship. He has final authority over all things. I think once we understand that, once we grasp, Lord is not just another name that we use to talk about Jesus. To say that he's Lord is acknowledging one day he's coming back. And we're going to see that with our own eyes like never before. Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Put that on your outline put it on your screen. Should put it in your heart. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. What a statement! In fact, let's say it. Let's just say it all together and if you're watching online, say it to the screen. More so, say it to the Lord. Can we do it together? Jesus is Lord. Believe it. Say it. See from a human perspective, that was an audacious claim. Remember what we know about Jesus? Cuz If he's Lord, if he's that big, if he's that powerful, if he has that much authority, but remember what we know of him in the Gospels. He owned no property, he possessed no wealth, he didn't even have a home to call his own, he never held a government office, he didn't organize a political party, he had no palace, he had no throne, he commanded no army. And that verse that we read a moment ago, that we've already committed the memory the Great Commission, but remember what's going on. He's standing out in the middle of nowhere to the 11 followers that are still with him. He went from thousands, he's down to 11. They're the only ones hanging on and makes that statement. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's an important claim. That's quite a statement. Think about it for a moment. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That leaves no room for debate. It's not a matter. What do you think about that? It's not a, a Facebook poll. It's not some kind of Gallup survey. There, your opinion doesn't matter at all. There, there isn't a might be. It's a straightforward statement. And consider the scope of the claim. All authority, not some, not most, not. In a coming day, no, all authority in heaven and on earth. Not just heaven, but heaven and earth. That that was an idiom, a, a way of expressing everywhere, under every rock, for all time. One writer put it this way, There is not a square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. He's not just claiming private authority. He can be your Lord. Or religious authority. He's Lord over the church. It's all authority. It's not just limited to the church. It's not just limited in a religious setting. It's all authority. Jesus is saying, top dog, boss, call it what you will. That's him. He is on the top. And that's quite a claim. If you're a fan of Max Licato, you might remember his story he told in The Eye of the Storm. Two battleships were assigned to a training squadron on the seas. It was at night, and the weather was quite difficult. The the fog was thick. Visibility was very poor. So the captain remained on the bridge to keep a a watch on on everything that was happening. Shortly after dark, lookout on the wing said, Light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern, the captain called out. The lookout said, steady, captain, meaning the ship was on a collision course with another ship. So the captain signaled the, uh, called the signalman and said, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Moments later, the signal came back, advise you to change course 20 degrees. Well, that irritated the captain, so he said, send, I'm a captain. Change course 20 degrees. Again, the reply came back, I'm a seaman, second class, you change course 20 degrees. Well, that just infuriated him. He spat out, send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. And back came the flashing light, I'm a lighthouse, change course 20 degrees. A lighthouse doesn't change even for a battleship. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That was an audacious claim. If it's not true, if it's not true, then all this is silliness. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you do what you do? If that's not true the teachings of Jesus the life we live it's just based on hearsay if it's not true. The Christian faith would become just another world religion maybe the product of human imagination maybe just wishful thinking. Maybe be a good way to live. But that's it. On the other hand If it is true, everything is affected. Everything is affected. It touches every area of life. It means Jesus' authority is just as valid in the White House as it is in your house. Jesus' authority means the same whether you're sitting in your living room or sitting in this room. His authority is above all and for all time. If it's true, then no one is exempt. No one in the world stands outside the authority of Jesus Christ as Lord. The richest man in the world, the most powerful woman in the world, the most influential person in Hollywood, it matters not. If this is true, someday, one day, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Romans 14, look at verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end we died and live again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. See, Jesus as Lord is not just a familiar Phrase, not just a line we put into our songs. It's not just a, a theological slogan. It's not just a statement to memorize. It's not just something to give us a sense of peace. It's much, much more than that. Jesus is Lord changes things, Jesus is Lord changes us. Keep reading. Verse 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So each of us will give an account to himself, to God. You want to know what it means to say Jesus is Lord, that's it. One day you're going to give an account because he's Lord. And the question is, what do you believe? Remember, we said that the rest of the scripture. Something. What do you believe about this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Not just what do you know, but down deep, what do you really believe? And what he wants to know is Jesus, your Lord. Our invitation is to encourage you to make that decision. Maybe for you it's to make that decision again. You're already a child of God. You've already had your sins washed away in baptism. But you get distracted and you get to thinking like the world, like you used to think. Maybe it's time for you to put Jesus back on the throne and to say to him, Jesus, you're my Lord. And maybe that's a private matter. If we can pray for you, we want to encourage you. Or if today is the day to make that public, to confess that's what you believe To let him make you a new creation in baptism. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you need. Won't you come as we stand and sing.